engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. It's tax day. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. Sad day here. This is Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, Notre Dame. Continuing in flames. Um, what a what a what a sight to see. <clears throat> For those of you who who, who don't know, it, the cathedral is eight hundred fifty years old. It took a hundred years for craftsmen to build it. Uh, what is most remarkable about Notre Dame is that it, it's undergoing or was undergoing a restoration process. And one of the restoration and renovation aspects of it was scientists and engineers trying to figure out how the roof of Notre Dame was actually made. No one has ever been able to figure out how the roof of Notre Dame was made. There have been theories, uh, some of which have been credible, but the actual construction of it has remained a mystery for 850 years and will remain a mystery now. Uh, Workmen, now, one of the, the... aspects of this that that should be addressed out of the gate is there have been a series of church fires in catholic churches around france in the last month and so immediately a lot of people began to speculate that maybe uh this was related but it does not appear to be the case at all there is a renovation restoration process the fire started in the area of the restoration much like if you'll recall years ago when windsor castle burned down um that it was in the renovation areas it was spotlights uh, caused heat in a certain area and caused paint and other fumes to ignite. It, it really is an immeasurable loss. This was a priceless symbol, a priceless building, a priceless work of art and architecture. And we don't actually build buildings like this anymore. The, the style, the design, the effort is completely removed and forgotten by history as to how to build something like this. Now, there are some I see today who say, well, we could rebuild it faster and, and better and with better technology. I'm, I'm not so sure. And even if so, we will have lost, for example, the famous rose windows of Notre Dame. The rose windows of Notre Dame were removed in World War II to ensure that the Nazis could not blow them up, nor that the Nazis could take them as treasure, they're gone. One of the things that was preserved is the crown of thorns that was on Christ's head. Uh, Palm Sunday being yesterday, this is the Holy Week, uh, makes, makes the tragedy even more symbolic. But I don't know that most people are aware of that. It is presumed that the crown of thorns in Notre Dame is authentic. And and a word here for a moment before we continue on relics. Uh, Some evangelicals who who don't study this history blowing me up for belief in relics. You know, there there are, for example, uh, supposed pieces of the true cross floating around. The the cross on which Jesus was crucified. There are pieces, churches, Catholic churches in particular all over the world have supposed pieces of it. Uh, there is supposedly the spear, you know, the, the spear of destiny, it, it's called in the DC comics. Um, it, it is just, um, it, it, it's, it, they supposedly exist and a lot of them are, are scams. Uh, the, the Shroud of Turin is one that, you know, there's there's some credible evidence in, in lineage that it may be legit. The carbon testing on it several years ago was flawed just to the extent that it, it was tested on an area of restoration of the Shroud, but no one really knows. But 
there are some legitimate relics within the church that have been preserved. And when I say legitimate, they cannot be traced all the way back to the time of Christ's living, but they can be traced back uh, genealogically, if you will, by bill of sale, if you will. They can be traced back so very far that uh, a lot of people actually are willing to say, you know what, this probably is legitimate. And the crown of thorns is one of those relics. There have been many competing supposed crowns of thorns floating out there in Christendom, but only this one can trace back very far. The crown of thorns preserved in Notre Dame. There are pictures. I put one on Twitter if you want to see it. It, it actually has a very fascinating history. You can trace this crown of thorns all the way back to about um, within about 100 years of Christ dying on the cross. It was preserved by early Christians in Jerusalem. It was carried out of the city when the Romans sacked the city. It was preserved with early Christian churches in the area and then brought back into the city as Christians began repopulating the city. It was brought back in after Constantine became emperor and churches were being established in the Holy Lands. It was placed in a church in Jerusalem, and from there it was taken as uh, fraudulent crowns of thorns began circulating and people started uh, selling individual pieces of wood claiming to be thorns from the crown. It was actually taken from Jerusalem to France um, where it was preserved in a church there until Notre Dame was built. And when Notre Dame was built, it was housed uh, within Notre Dame by way of Italy. So it, it, what makes this what makes the crown of thorns very very unique is that its its lineage and history can be traced back very 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 early to Christendom within Jerusalem. So it may not be real. It flat out may not be real. But the fact that it is one of the very few relics of the church that can be traced back super close in time to the crucifixion gives it a level of authenticity uh, authenticity that most of the other relics do not have. It, it is treated as the real uh, crown of thorns by the Catholic Church. It has been preserved in a glass and gold tube on display for over a thousand years now, which just makes it fascinating. Uh, it has thankfully been preserved. Um, the the uh, instruments used to give the the sacraments in the catholic church those have all been preserved uh the minor statuaries have been preserved the the crown has been served there there actually is a piece of what is claimed to be the true cross in notre dame it too has been preserved that one i'm more dubious of because there are all these these pieces floating around but I, you just y'all you, you can't put a price on this and we do not build buildings like this anymore. And, and you can take the side of modern technology, but the intricacies of the carvings, the roofing, the timber work, uh, it's just, it's, it's not done anymore. Uh, this is a, a true, this isn't a loss for Christendom per se. It is a global loss of art and architecture. I mean, this is a cathedral that people around the world went to Paris to see. It was the most visited landmark in Paris. More people visited the uh, Notre Dame Cathedral every year than visited the Eiffel Tower. More than 15 million people last year visited Notre Dame. Reminded of Isaiah 65, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. The grass withers, the flower fades, the cathedrals fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. 
just a day to put things in perspective, I suppose. I actually wrote this morning. We, we I, Over at The Resurgent on Holy Week every week, I spend most of my time not writing about politics and spend the week writing about faith and culture issues. And it was actually my, my, my piece this morning was that all of these things are temporary. All of these things fade away. Everything fades away except eternity. And so we should spend less time on politics, more time on family, and a great deal more time on eternity. And see Notre Dame in flames today really is something. Uh, as I speak right now, the fire continues. They are afraid now of the walls collapsing. President Trump tweeted earlier that they should use a water tanker and drop water on the cathedral to put out the fire. Uh, firefighters around the world noting that that would actually cause the complete collapse of the structure if they did that, the way to the water falling. So they're not doing that. But the fire team in that section of Paris is considered one of the top 10 firefighting teams on planet Earth. So if there's a firefighting team that can handle the fire, that would be it. The problem is cathedrals are supposed to be open and airy, and because they were built at a time there was no artificial ventilation, and they were built with natural ventilation, encouraging the air to flow through the cathedral, and that, of course, makes them highly, highly prone to devastating fires should one spread. And we're witnessing that today. The spire has fallen. They are worried now the bells of Notre Dame will collapse. Okay, guys, a quick timeout for this week's sponsor. And, you know, the, I get a script. When you do a live read, you get a script, and it gives you suggested talking points. And so this week, the sponsor is my butterfly pillow, and I appreciate it. And, you know, the script starts that not all of us sleep the same way. 63% of Americans sleep on their side. Are you one of them? And then talks about my butterfly pillow. Forget the script. I can do this one. Why can I do this one? Because I've been traveling with my butterfly pillow when I have to stay in hotels of late. Because, you know, hotel pillows, just they, they're they like pancakes. I mean, they're really, really, really fluffy, and you put your head on them, and they, I mean, flat-out pancakes. And I have stayed at a hotel recently where I know there was a bunch of road noise. And so one of the cool things about my butterfly pillow is that in addition to being adjustable, I mean, you can adjust the height on this thing, but it also has a Bluetooth night owl speaker. So you can actually stream from your phone to the pillow, and listen to music or podcast or I use the call map when I'm in a hotel and listen to it on my butterfly pillow. So you get a soft pillow, but it doesn't flatten out like a pancake and you can adjust it. So it, it supports your neck. Your, your neck doesn't get cricked. Uh, it's just, it's, it's a great pillow. It is thoughtfully designed clearly by people who have had these problems. And you know, as the script says, it, it keeps your neck and spine in alignment throughout the night. Even if you switch sides, it really does really am a fan of this pillow and listeners to my show can save $30 off the list price of $129. Use code Eric at checkout and you'll get my butterfly pillow for just $99 and free shipping in the continental United States. Go to mybutterflypillow.com and enter code Eric at checkout, save $30 and get free shipping. That's mybutterflypillow.com. Check out code Eric. And the great thing about it is you can take it with you to these hotels that have these horrible, horrible, fluffy pillows that flatten out like pancakes. You can use my butterfly pillow and get a good night's sleep. It is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News, live scene from outside Notre Dame's Cathedral. The crowd has gathered and is singing Christian hymns in French as they watch the fire spread in the cathedral. Thank you.
just amazing to see this crowd. It's, it's a huge crowd uh, that has gathered on the banks of the Seine uh, across the river from Notre Dame. The flames shooting up high above the cathedral, headed now into the bell towers. More and more people there. France, Paris is dark now. And people standing there lit by the flames and the streetlights singing. Uh, they are worried now the great bell will fall. If the great bell within the Tower of Notre Dame falls, the tower itself, they say, will collapse. Firefighters are redoubling their efforts. They have formed brigades within the cathedral. The fire mostly in the roof area, according to fringe media reports, the firefighters are spraying water to try to keep the flames at bay while they can remove as many works of art as possible, and they have been doing this, but they believe that the overall structure will be completely lost. The entire roof and spire caved in. Just sad to see. When we come back, Karen Handel is going to join me on the phone. Uh, former Congresswoman now relaunching a campaign to take back her district, the 6th Congressional District here in Georgia. And a brief word, if you'll allow. Ann Lewis has passed away. Uh, you may not know the name Ann Lewis, but uh, you know the works of Ann Lewis. Ann Lewis was a mentor of mine, actually. Uh, when I was a young lawyer, I went to do election law. And Ann Lewis uh, was one of the few lawyers in Georgia uh, that did election law that was actually willing to help a young guy right out of law school. And she was a, a just an invaluable resource for me and a friend who I did not get to see very often. Uh, she passed away from a, a long, long fight with cancer. And it is a tremendous loss. It, you know the impact Ann Lewis has had because she has basically been the legal counsel for the Georgia Republican Party for decades. She managed every major redistricting fight over the last couple of decades for the GOP. A lot of the internal fights, uh, fighting elections for them, and uh, really helping Republicans around the nation uh, with the National Republican Lawyers uh, Council and other groups. Just a wonderful, wonderful person whose, whose life really, even if you did not know her, she impacted you directly through helping shape public policy and helping shape this state into a Republican state. Uh, she will be dearly, dearly missed by a lot of people, myself included. I saw her last year at an event I spoke at. She came up to me and uh, was telling uh, stories on me, my, my days as a young lawyer and the dumb things I would do. Uh, she made me a better lawyer and she was a wonderful person and she will be missed. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here, News 955 AM 750 WSB. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Joining me now, uh, the once and hopefully future Congresswoman of the 6th Congressional District, Karen Handel. Welcome. Hi, Eric. How are you? I'm great. Uh, so uh, joining me on tax day, no less. I am. And before we get started, I want to thank you for those really uh, warm words about Anne. She was just an amazing lawyer, my best friend, but more importantly, just an incredible human being. She really, really, really was. It meant so much to me as a young lawyer that yep. someone like Ann would take me under her wing and, and show me the ropes. And that's something that you will hear again and again and again about her. 
Yeah. Special, special spirit, that lady. Heaven got a whole lot brighter. Yep, very much so. Now, so you are you are going to run again, correct, against Lisa McBath? I am. McBath. I absolutely am. Now, I had a great uh, kickoff to the campaign. I um, was able to post a really solid number from Q1 after just five days, um, close to 350000 and just incredible endorsements and so much enthusiasm. I'm so grateful and humble to people um, who have put such confidence in me, and I feel good about 2020. We'll, we'll take back to six. Well, let me ask you uh, about that. What do you see as the the dynamic that cost you the race in 2018 and how it changes into 2020? You know, it's just as you saw all across the, the country. Uh, I know people like to call it the blue wave, but it was really a green tsunami. And when you look at the money that uh, Bloomberg pumped into uh, Metro Atlanta, it was an extraordinary amount of money. All the while, uh, you have Lucy McBath saying that she's not going to be supportive of outside money yet. It was outside money that fueled her campaign and brought her um, over the finish line. What will be different in 2020 is, one, we will have President Trump at the top of the ticket, then Senator Purdue, and we all know how important it is to get both of them reelected, and that's going to be uh, very helpful for down ballot. And, you know, McBath will have a record. And let me just tell you, it is not um, a record that aligns well with the people of the 6th District and the, the, the values of the 6th District. And on top of that, she really needs to answer the question about her residency, Eric. I mean, Cobb County Tax Office just came out uh, a few weeks ago and revoked her homestead exemption. She was ducking her taxes here in Georgia, and she claimed that she was going to be transparent and honest as our representative, and she has done nothing but. Well, you know, I'm actually somewhat amazed by a lot of the local media in Atlanta uh, giving her a pass on this issue when, uh, or excusing the homestead exemption revocation, which I I think should actually be a pretty big deal. It should be, and I I will say that Cobb County had a... uh, um, an appeals process that was about six months long, and that has now been exhausted. And what they determined was that she did not meet the requirements to claim her sixth district home, her sixth district property, as her primary residency. It was their determination that her residency was in Tennessee, and that is backed up by the fact that her vehicles are registered in Tennessee or had been. And it is time for Lucy McBath to come clean and be honest with the people of the 6th District. She can clear it up quite simply, Eric. All she has to do is, I don't care what the details of her taxes are, but she should show us that she filed income taxes with the state of Georgia for the past seven years. Yeah, it's somewhat hilarious that uh, she and other Democrats do want to see President Trump's taxes and don't want to reveal their own. That's right. That's right. (laughs) And, And it's even worse than that. You know, she supports... Nancy Pelosi and raising taxes while she's in Tennessee ducking her own taxes. <laughs> yeah, very, very true. You know, so beyond that, she certainly now has a record to run on, and it certainly is to the left. Uh, but there is a, a another component here that's just the, the retail politics on the ground. And I have heard from numerous people, and you and I have talked about this, that uh, mm-hmm. there were a lot of outside commitments uh, from outside Republican groups to handle door-to-door and other get-out-the-vote activities that didn't come through in 2018. And, and 
I, I part of me just looking at the data from your district attributes uh, both your situation and even Rob Woodall's very close race to the outside Republican groups not doing what they said they would do. And I'm assuming with 2020 probably making Georgia swing state, we're actually going to have those resources. Absolutely. I, you're going to see um, uh, many more, much more resources come to the 6th District. Uh, Georgia 6 is a top five target for the National Republican Congressional Committee. We know that uh, President Trump's reelect uh, really needs to include a win in Georgia, so you'll see resources there. I'm excited and energized. Uh, Republicans um, are also excited and energized. I think you know we've had a really good run um, in the state of Georgia, and everyone knows what's at stake in 2020. And it's not just a Republican majority. It is about the principles. The, of this nation from personal accountability and personal freedoms that are at stake. And the choice will be very clear, very clear. So now you're, you are, it looks like going to have some potential opponents in a primary. Um, I mean, how do you see this shaping up? I feel very confident. Um, again, the enthusiasm for me right out of the gate was very, very high. Um, you know, we'll take a look at what the fundraising numbers look like. That's always an early indicator. Um, I, I believe I'm going to post a, a number that far eclipses um, e, uh, my opponent in all of this, assuming he ends up running. Um, but at the end of the day, the people of the 6th District, they know me and they trust me, Eric. And I will work doubly hard. No one's ever going to outwork me. And somehow I'm going to turn it up at even notch uh, higher and work so hard to bring this back for the people of the 6th District. Now, yeah, I, I don't know if you've heard, but it, it sounds like John Ossoff wants to run for the Senate against David Perdue. Oh, I would love to watch that. <laughs> I'll just have to kick his ass off again, and I feel like David Perdue can certainly do that. <laughs> well, look, uh, before we get out of here and, and go to commercial break, um, I want to ask you one last question. Yeah. There, can, there does appear to be in all the polling, we've seen it in 2018, we see it now even in, in the latest AJC polling, some suburban angst about Republicans and particularly tied to President Trump. I mean, what characteristics do you see in the 6th District uh, that you think work to your advantage as opposed to, to helping Lucy McBath despite some of the demographic trends? You know, for me, the people of the 6th District, they do know me, and I was able to keep this race very, very close um, last November um, with just barely shy of three, uh, right around 3,000 votes. So I think that uh, I'll continue to work hard with the swing and independent voters. But remember, when all is said and done, it will be a very clear choice between Continuing the economy in the 6th District, having employer-provided health insurance is very important. An overwhelming majority of families in the 6th, that's where their insurance comes from. Do we have other issues to deal with on health care? Absolutely. And I'm committed to finding solutions there. But the people of the 6th will, will not be aligned to this progressive socialist agenda that is coming out of Washington, the anti-Semitism that we're getting from Representative Omar for a district that has one of the highest Jewish populations of any congressional district in the country. So the contrast is going to be very, very clear, and I'm going to deliver that message, and in doing so, we will retake the six. All right. Karen Handel, good luck to you out there. You stop by anytime. You bet. Thanks so much. Bye-bye now. God bless. Thank you. That's Karen Handel, uh, former congresswoman, former secretary of state, running again for the 6th Congressional District. Again, a 3,000-vote margin in 2018. Uh, in large part, if you ask me, and I'm not alone in this, the National Republican Party, 
promised to handle the get out the vote effort in the Republican suburbs in Georgia and never actually uh, came through with it, which also hurt Brian Kemp. He could have improved his margin in the state, but certainly hurt Karen Handel, Rob Woodall, and uh, Sam Teasley and people like that. So with that effort in 2020, this is definitely a a real potential re-pickup for the GOP and best of luck to Karen Handel. The Masters. Can we talk about the Masters very briefly? Tiger Woods winning yesterday. Tornadoes all around us. Man, the local CBS affiliate in Atlanta, I thought people were going to burn them to the ground. So I was watching down in Macon, and there was a tornado in the area, and local weather forecast came on. And a tornado went out in the area after the one in Atlanta. <laughs> The weather forecaster came on, Ben Jones, he's a great guy. He was on for like 10 seconds and said, folks, there's a tornado in the area, go to Facebook Live. We don't want to be like that other CBS station. <laughs> I mean, it was it was maybe 10 seconds to tell people to go to Facebook Live and see where everything was. They were not interrupting the Masters uh, on the making station. Uh, CBS Atlanta apparently did for a, a few minutes, and the storm was, of course, so bad if you had satellite you couldn't see it, but wow, Tiger Woods. Everybody loves a redemption story, and he certainly earned his. What a fascinating, fascinating, wonderful win. Oh, this is good news. Breaking news. The fire and police chiefs of Paris saying the structure of Notre Dame has been saved. They have stopped the fire from spreading to the northern belfries and the flying buttresses are secure. Um, that is that is wonderful, wonderful news. They have been worried that the uh, Great Bell of Notre Dame would collapse, which would bring down the northern tower. Uh, and if the Northern Tower collapsed, that would cause the Southern Tower of Notre Dame to collapse as well. They do believe right now, this is Bloomberg News reporting uh, less than two minutes ago, uh, that the fire and police chiefs of Paris saying the structure has been preserved, the fire has been stopped on its advance into the uh, Northern and Southern belfries. That's just, that's wonderful, wonderful. It really is. Um, gosh, y'all, this is, this is a sad day. Um, so Ann Lewis died, I mentioned, and I, she's not someone that I, I spoke to regularly in really the last few years, but w when I was right out of law school, I mean, she and I talked all the time. She was a brilliant lawyer and to, to find out, I saw Greg Bluestein tweeted out earlier today, uh, that she passed away. And then this with Notre Dame, I cannot express to you in words the beauty that has been lost there are and i don't know that you even can understand it if you haven't seen something like this yourself but pictures cannot do justice to the beauty of notre dame and it's it's lost the, the rose window, uh, literally the most beautiful stained glass window on planet Earth, uh, not disputed by anyone. Uh, artists for 800 years have gone and sat beneath the rose window to stare at it. The, the most beautiful stained glass window on planet Earth, uh, cut out of the cathedral and hidden to keep it from the Nazis and then replaced after World War II. It's gone. 
does not exist anymore. On Holy Week of all things, um, Holy Monday, following Palm Sunday, you know, I'm going to deviate. There, there were other things I wanted to talk about, and and this has just thrown me for a loop this afternoon. And I want to go straight into the Masters and Tiger Woods for a moment. I think all these things are uh, weaved together somewhat, at least in my mind. I spend more time this week. We will be doing the Good Friday show this Friday. As an aside, the Mueller report is expected to drop on Thursday. Most of us, Jamie Dupree and I, thought it would be on Friday. But we will give it extended coverage on Thursday and Friday. We will do the Good Friday show. Uh, Mark Aram uh, kindly agreed to, to let me work for him on Friday night. So we will do the annual Good Friday show 6 to 8 p.m. on Friday. I was actually going to pre-record the second hour, but I want to do it live. Uh, so I will be here live 6 to 8 on Friday doing the Good Friday show in the run-up to Easter. We'll also make it available by podcast. Uh, but I want to do it that way so we can give justice to the Mueller report as well uh, as it comes out on Thursday and we're reading it and, and getting into Friday as well with what we know. I... One of the, uh, when you study Christian apologetics, is I, I took my uh, apologetics class at Reformed Theological Seminary, and one of the things that you hear from a lot of Christian scholars in apologetics is that God echoes through eternity and through life. And we get this from Romans 1. Uh, Paul actually writes about this in Romans 1, about how God is made manifest in nature. Uh, we see God all around us. We see his, his gifts around us. And we find that religions all have common strains and traits and elements. And, you know, it's one of the great stories of C.S. Lewis uh, that a group, an interfaith group of scholars at Oxford University were debating the differences between religions and how so many of them were the same. And Lewis actually popped his head into the room. He was not a, an attendee. And one of them said, Lewis, what separates Christianity from all the other religions? And C.S. Lewis says, grace. No other religion has a concept of grace. Um, every religion has do these things and God accepts you. And Christianity has God accepts you, so do these things. It's the reverse. It's the reverse of these. Like the golden rule in Christianity. And in, in every religion has an example of the golden rule. Um, but they're all phrased, whether it's, they're all of them phrased, pick your religion. Uh, don't do to someone what you don't want them to do to you. Don't be bad to someone uh, if you don't want them to be bad to you. What Christianity says is do to someone what you want them to do to you. Uh, it, it's the reverse of all the other religions. And so there are these little echoes. They, they don't quite get it right, but they echo uh, in the world, you, you see other religions have this idea of uh, a, a virgin birth, for example, although they're, they're all they're not quite right. They, they all have real similarities until you actually delve into Christianity. And you're like, no, this one really is unique from these others. There are different aspects of that. One of the things that even secularism has is redemption stories. Everyone loves a redemption story. The fall from grace and then the elevation back to grace. The fall out of favor and the restoration. 
every every religion and secularism itself has these and we saw a remarkable display of it and what is so interesting to me is is the the secular um aspects and conversations of what happened with tiger woods all use the language of christianity to talk about it in redemption and falling from grace and and the fall and and uh, it just not being who he once was and then being restored and, and uh, being victorious at the Masters. It was an amazing win. It was a beautiful course and a wonderful, wonderful story of redemption for Tiger Woods, who 22 years ago won his first Masters and then has not won anything. Uh, for 11 years, since 2008, Tiger Woods has not won anything. He had been down to the beneath the, the top, uh, fell out of the top 1,000 golf players on the planet for a while. And sports analysts uh, were betting against him. And, and it was the bet to make. It was the obvious bet to make to bet against Tiger Woods because he had fallen so far. He had been so far off his game. And for years and years, there had been all of these stories, all of these comebacks about Tiger Wood and how he was was going to make a comeback, and he never did. And finally, so many of the analysts, so many of the pundits, so many of the of the anchors, and so many of the writers just gave up on him and said, you know what, uh, he's not going to do it. Tiger Woods is not going to make that comeback. I mean, for example, here is uh, Stephen A. Smith on uh, ESPN uh, a several days ago as the Masters had started. He shot a one under yesterday. He was once five shots up, okay, and almost lost that. We got to take that into consideration. And I look at Tiger, and I'm of the mindset, and this is just my mentality. The bigger the event, the more pressure that is mount, the more elite the competition is, and let's see what you do. There is no question that Tiger Woods can play golf. We know he can play. We know that on his, even though he was once ranked 1,199th, and obviously now he's top 25, and we see. Top 15? That's a top 15, I'm sorry. And we respect that without question. But when I look at Tiger, I think about that guy that's four shy of catching Jack Nicholas' record of 18 majors. And when I look at it from that perspective. Is he going to win another major, yes or no? I don't think so. Let me say this. I've said that on the record because here's what I've said to you. Four days. Any on any given day, Tiger can be the best in the world. But to win the tournament, the it's gotta be four days. And how he played yesterday, you, if that was a major, he'd have lost. Let, and you know, he really wasn't saying anything out of turn there. And yet Tiger Woods came back and won. It was an impressive victory. And, and you know what? Uh, Beth Moore, if you know who Beth Moore is, uh, Southern Baptist, uh, just wonderful in her own right theologian, uh, said that yesterday was one day where she couldn't bring herself to hate golf. Got a lot of friends of mine who hate golf. I love golf. I'm I'm horrible. I really, I've got friends of mine who say they're terrible golfers. I, I, they have nothing. on me. I am a horrible golfer. I love to play, but it's typically an excuse to drink beer in the middle of the day out in the middle of nowhere and not have my cell phone with me. I love to play, but I'm a horrible golfer, uh, and I hate to watch golf, but watching the Masters is a tradition, and watching that yesterday, there's your redemption story. Uh, it was just phenomenal to watch, and, and even if you don't like golf, my wife included, it's just something you can look at and say, you know what, that's a good story.
Okay, guys, a quick timeout for this week's sponsor. And, you know, I get a script. When you do a live read, you get a script, and it gives you suggested talking points. And so this week, the sponsor is my butterfly pillow, and I appreciate it. And, you know, the script starts that not all of us sleep the same way. 63% of Americans sleep on their side. Are you one of them? And then talks about my butterfly pillow. Forget the script. I can do this one. Why can I do this one? Because I've been traveling with my butterfly pillow when I have to stay in hotels of late. Cause you know, hotel pillows just, they, they're like pancakes. I mean, they're really, really, really fluffy and you put your head on them and they, I mean, flat out pancakes. And I have stayed at a hotel recently where I know there was a bunch of road noise. And so one of the cool things about my butterfly pillow is that in addition to being adjustable, I mean, you can adjust the height on this thing, but it also has a Bluetooth night owl speaker. So you can actually stream from your phone to the pillow and listen to music or podcast or I use the call map when I'm in a hotel and listen to it on my butterfly pillow. So you get a soft pillow, but it doesn't flatten out like a pancake and you can adjust it. So it, it supports your neck. Your, your neck doesn't get cricked. Uh, it's just, it's, it's a great pillow. It is thoughtfully designed clearly by people who have had these problems. And you know, as the script says, it, it keeps your neck and spine in alignment throughout the night. Even if you switch sides, it really does really am a fan of this pillow and listeners to my show can save $30 off the list price of $129. Use code Eric at checkout and you'll get my butterfly pillow for just $99 and free shipping in the continental United States. Go to mybutterflypillow.com and enter code Eric at checkout, save $30 and get free shipping. That's mybutterflypillow.com. Check out code Eric. And the great thing about it is you can take it with you to these hotels that have these horrible, horrible, fluffy pillows that flatten out like pancakes. You can use my butterfly pillow and get a good night's sleep. We've got the phone lines open here on Atlanta's Evening News at WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Briefly, one last word on Tiger Woods before we move into other news. Scott Jennings, uh, CNN political contributor, worked for President George W. Bush, uh, has a great piece in the LA Times today. And for every parent, the moral of Tiger's win is to wake up every day and think about how our children can see us at our best as we drive them to school, coach their sports teams, or sit down for supper. I'm glad he said supper instead of dinner. It's all about the 18th at Augusta to them. They were always there waiting to see what daddy will do. Our personal venues may not be as grand as Augusta National, but the splendor of setting a good example will live in our children's hearts just the same as it will for Tiger's kids. And he made a great point that Tiger's kids have seen him struggle uh, with life, with his body. They've seen him in pain. Once finding him in the backyard, unable to move because his back had given out, they've seen the mugshot, I'm sure, and everything else. And we all have. And you know, the world loves a good redemption story. The best redemption story we're going to talk about on Friday. Uh, But this is a good redemption story. It's nice to see. Now, We do need to move to other news of the day, including David Perdue, his fundraising for his Senate race in 2020, signaling he's leaving nothing to chance. Over $3 million raised by David Perdue for his 2020 race. He has no real opponent yet. Teresa Tomlinson, the former mayor of Columbus, Muskogee County, thinking she's going to run. Democrats increasingly frustrated by Stacey Abrams. And, And I do mean they're starting to mutter to the newspaper that they're ready to move on from Stacey Abrams. And her polling in the AJC poll has shocked a number of Democrats who realize that the woman they thought was very smart and played 
played all of her cards well, actually wound up playing them badly on the race issues and division in Georgia. It's not helping her. It is 39 after the hour, and I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I want to play several sound bites in a row, and you'll get the gist of them. This is Beto O'Rourke. We will never forget. This is an incitement to violence against Congresswoman Omar, against our fellow Americans who happened to be Muslim. Here's Tom Perez, chairman of the Democratic National Committee. We have 571 days until the most important election of our lifetime. We have health care on the ballot. We've got good wages on the ballot. We've got our democracy is on the ballot. And what Donald Trump wants to do in the 571 days between now and the election is distract people. And here's Benny Thompson, congressman. Well, I saw the speech she gave, and uh, I saw nothing wrong with it. Uh, I saw the president's manufactured tweet uh, where he put pieces in there. But, George, uh, we are a nation of laws, a democracy. Free speech is here. And, again, I saw nothing wrong with the congresswoman's speech. And here's Phil Rucker from the Washington Post. You could also look at what President Trump has been doing the last couple of weeks and, and surmise that there could be some anxiety there about the Mueller report because he's been creating so many uh, big headlines in other areas, going after Representative Omar very aggressively, uh, other areas where he's been tweeting about immigration, for example. He's, he's creating all these brush fires, which we know from covering him the last few years, this is what he does when there's a big story he wants to distract from or to get out in front of. And you talk to the president's aides and allies privately, and they do express some concern that this report could be politically damaging to them. And lastly, Brian Seltzler on CNN. Some people did something. Four words. Probably not the best choice of words. It's easy for me to sit here and say I would have chosen different words, right? But the point is that this controversy was created. The construction of the frame, Omar downplays 9-11, is a key part of the story. These viral videos and tweets are how we argue about the future of America, but so much of it is based in bad faith. These outrage cycles corrupt us. Omar's comment was used as a weapon against her, including by President Trump, who has pinned this anti-Omar video to the top of his Twitter page. Yes, these are all about Representative Omar, who in a speech to an anti-Semitic group talked about 9-11, spoke favorably of terrorists, terroristic groups, I should say, and said of 9-11, summed it up this way, some people did something. Republicans called her out on saying some people did something. The front page of the New York Post had a picture of the exploding World Trade Trade Center and the caption, here's your some people doing something, Representative Omar, or some such. And now the Democrats have rallied to Representative Omar because Donald Trump tweeted about it. And suddenly he's the bad guy. You, you, you get the framing from Brian Seltzler and, and from Phil Rucker, the Washington Post. This is, this is Donald Trump trying to distract. This is Donald Trump trying to do something. No, 
Had she never opened her mouth and said what she said about 9-11, this would not have been a story. And Democrats who have been defensive about her and have more than once called her out for what she said are suddenly doubling down in defense of her against the president. Why? Well, I want to tell you why, but first we got to go check traffic with Doug Turnbull. Thank you, sir. So the reason they're doing this is very simple. They have come to the conclusion that Representative Omar is going to continue to say crazy, outrageous, offensive stuff. And she's there for another year and a half, basically. She's not going away. She's going to keep saying anti-Semitic stuff. She's going to keep talking to anti-Semitic groups. She's going to keep talking to groups that have in the past had ties to uh, nefarious types who don't really have the interests of this country at heart. And so they've got to defend her now. It's very much like, did you know over the weekend how many news outlets covered the fact that Ralph Northam did a fundraiser for Democrats in Virginia and prominent Democrats in the state attended? They didn't avoid Northam. They let him participate. They let him speak. How many national media outlets have covered that? Can you imagine if a Republican had done what Northam did, refused to resign and started fundraising? The the media would make the Republicans own it. They totally ignored the story. It's the same with Representative Omar. The media is part of the Democratic establishment, and they are helping Democrats push back on the narrative about her because they know they're stuck with her. She's not going anywhere. And so they got to do damage control. And the way they're doing damage control is to take the uh, 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 but Trump, but Trump, but Trump attitude. We're going to get more of this, not less of this. And she's going to keep saying idiotic, offensive things. She's not going away. Now, to the phones, let's go to Scott. Scott, welcome to the program. Hey, um, Eric, can you hear me? I can hear you. Hey, I was wondering why what the Stacey Abrams phenomenon here nationally, I mean, I understand she's a big story in Georgia, um, you know, rightly so. She, oh, is it Scott, she, so um, this, one, this one's actually easy to understand. Uh, two words, white guilt. You have a bunch of liberal newspaper white people in the media, who gave all of their attention to Beto O'Rourke in 2018. Stacey Abrams, the black lady in Georgia, came closer to beating the Republican than O'Rourke did to Ted Cruz. And so now all these white liberals in the media are guilty, feel guilty. They didn't give her coverage in 2018. So they're trying to compensate for it now by building her up into something she's not, uh, hoping that maybe she can become something in the future so they can assuage their guilt and repent of not giving her enough coverage in 2018. And of course, she's milking it for all it's worth. She's been on TV saying the reason she didn't get enough coverage, didn't get the coverage of Beto O'Rourke is because he was white and she was black so she's played it up but she's right she is white liberals like white liberals and Beto lost so they've got to repent and this is how they're repenting Fascinating numbers out already. Uh, with less than 24 hours after the season premiere of season eight of Game of Thrones, 17.4 million people watched it outside of a sporting event or national political event. Uh, those are staggering numbers. It made more so because HBO is a paid service. You got to pay it to watch it. Uh, last year, two years ago, I guess it was actually, 16 million people within the first 24 hours watched 
the Game of Thrones season. So 17.4 in less than 24 hours. They estimate that worldwide by the end of this week, because of people who watch it on demand later and streaming services, more than 30 million people will actually watch the first episode of Game of Thrones. And total, by the end of this year, they expect there is so much interest globally as people are able to get it in other parts of the world later this year. It's a billion-person phenomenon, which is crazy to think about. Um, but it's, it's slowly rolling out. You and I may presume that it, everybody around the world gets it one time, but that's not the way it works in China and elsewhere. If things roll out much more slowly, uh, it's just, it's fascinating to think of the number of people who are watching this show and there won't be anything like that in the future, whether you like Game of Thrones or not. And, And I've got a lot of friends who absolutely detest it. Um, there's just no other show that is still on that really caught on before streaming services that people still watch and streaming services bifurcate everything. Winners coming to our division and unity in the country. Just fascinating stuff to watch. And it was great. It was totally great. I won't give away any spoilers for those of you who still haven't watched it, but oh, it's so good.